Mm-hmm. I am clear that trans is still a conversation. You know, I am clear that my identity can also uh, cause me my death. Yet still, I want to have the audacity to experience the world because if I was to die, I knew I couldn't take anything with me. But what I could say is that I got to experience and I got to give myself a yes when the world gave me a no. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of Black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Hey loves, it's Wanda, the host of the Black Women Travel Podcast. I'd like to invite you to become a patron of the Black Women Travel Podcast. There are a few budget-friendly tiers you can choose from so that as a community, we can continue to heal, ask for what we deserve, get it, and inspire the next generation. Tap the link in the show notes and choose a monthly contribution that suits you. I'm so excited about the episodes you'll hear that will nudge you to love yourself deeper and take more action in your life from that empowered place. Please consider becoming a monthly subscriber through patreon.com slash bwtpod. Get ready to hear another great episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you please tell us your name, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? Yes, my name is Nala Simone Toussaint. Uh, I'm just going to throw a little thing in there as well, which is a little bit so important. I pronounce it she, her. where my people were from and where I'm from. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, I am the, the daughter of um, two uh, wonderful parents that were from uh, the Caribbean. Uh, my mom was from Jamaica. My dad is from Trinidad. Um, and yet I'm still on the quest of finding where my people are still from, even in that uh, mess. Uh, location right now, I, I am residing in New Jersey. Um, and the name of my business is Road uh, for short, which means Uniting of African Descent. Uh, it is a grassroots uh, project uh, just founded to shape the equitable, personal, and collective development and achievement of African descent. And so each year, um, you know, with this grassroots project is to seek to mobilize at least 10 individuals to work collectively to transform uh, particularly queer and trans communities within Africa through cultural exchange. And so how we take this approach is through, uh, again, uh, cultural exchange and community building where by collaborating across continental and intergenerational travel experience that focuses on healing, which is so needed right now, um, apothecary teachings and entrepreneurship opportunities. Um, and basically through this work, uh, we want to support the imagination and the even exchange of ideas and practices, which generates safety, right? Which is also so important right now and sustainable economic abundance. Um, ultimately for queer and trans community and ultimately beyond the African diaspora. And um, why I, I, I focus on queer and transness, uh, particularly because um, in blackness, even within our community and the intersecting identities of who we are, 
uh, we still have marginalized communities, right? When we look at women, when we look about single moms, but particularly LGBT folks have often been um, uh, at the center of being pushed out um, in other races and even in our own. And so there's healing that needs to happen. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I want to talk about (laughs) all of that. So before we get to that transforming work that you're doing, I want to talk about the year 2014. Do you remember remember what happened in the year 2014 (laughs) of your life? (laughs) I'm like, uh, oh my goodness, 2014. That's so so interesting that you picked that number, Mm -hmm. 2014. Six years ago now. Um, Okay, so I won't keep you in suspense. So basically like, uh, what I do is I scroll back on the girls on Instagram and I see like what kind of lives you presented to the world. So you were you were in the work oh. as early as 2013. It, it probably was earlier than that, but that's when you started posting. So you're not new to this. You're true to this work of advocating, that's right, of that's right. um, organizing, of yes. being a voice. Yeah. Um, so in 2014, I see, I saw that you graduated from cosmetology school. Yeah. But that wasn't the beginning of your education. You had been in fashion before that. You did apparel, you did fashion design degrees. Um, So you graduated cosmetology school in 2014. You had the conversation with your brother about who you are. And it seems like that Mm. went really well in 2014. You got to meet Janet Mock and Laverne Cox, Tarana Burke. I think Tarana Burke was later, actually. Yeah. Um, you have pictures with yes. Amara Jones, who's been on this show, um, Blair Amani, speaking up for the Black Muslim queer community. So, like, you just been yeah. tooting and booting. You've been out there. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I want. I want to. Like I said, I want to be wherever my people are. That's exactly how I feel. Wherever my people are, I want to be there. Um, even in our indifferences, I want to be there. I want to talk. I want to break bread. I want to hug. I want to cry. I want to be all of those things. I want to dance. I want to be joy. Like all of those things, wherever my people are. So it has been a journey. So when you said 2014, I was like, oh, that's an interesting time. You know, what do you um, remember? I remember, um, although you said 2014, I, I'm seeing a flash of Islam Nettles in this moment. Um, Eli, or Elon Nettles, as some folks pr- uh, pronounce. Um, in 2012, when I graduated from fashion design, uh, cosmetology, uh, um, fashion design uh, school, I was working at Banana Republic. I've also, you know, I've done Maggie Norris Couture. I've worked with Simple Vera Wang um, as, you know, as, you know, assistant designer, internship, all of those great things. Uh, and I remember August of 2013 while working at Banana Republic, only making $72 every two weeks because I was experiencing discrimination as I was um, not in the midst of my transition. This is like um, uh, two years in of, uh, of saying yes to myself. I like to word it, right? Being an invitation, like this is who I am. Uh, again, because language wasn't something that I had access to um, growing up. I knew how I feel, but I didn't have the words to articulate how I felt. And I was clear that in my blackness and how folks saw me um, and what my, you know, my mom and my family was trying, trying to mold me as, 
uh, the black boy, soon to be the black man, that wasn't resonating with me. That wasn't feeling who I was. It wasn't in my vibration. It wasn't in my being. So it took me fashion design school to meet someone who looked like me, to actually to be seen. I was like, wait, there's someone who looks like me that is black. You know, I didn't want to be the images that I saw portrayed on TV, such as, you know, Jerry Spring and all those things. And so as you asked that question, what took me back was like a flash of a wave of thing because in fashion design, even having to sleep in the school because I just didn't have enough to stay in the dorm. I just didn't have enough uh, to like get my projects done. I had to sleep in the school sometimes to get things done um, in the time that worked. I, I met a, a, a woman who was like me um, in the experience of transness and blackness. Um, and I saw myself in her and I was like, oh, wow. And I started asking questions. I started asking questions. And it wasn't until after I graduated in 2012 and then 2013 that, you know, the news of Islam Nettles being murdered in Harlem in front of the uh, police station hit me hard because I had uh, shared spaces with Elon Nettles um, in support groups at the clinic that I went to. And she also was in fashion. So it hit hard because the thing that came to me, like even in this time of being Black, it could have been me. Uh, and so I, I started reflecting on where I was and who I was in that moment as it pertains to how I want to serve. When I wake up, how did I want to go back to bed in service, right? I knew I was clear on how I want to lay and wake up um, as a woman, right? But how did I want to serve in this world? And what felt right was using my voice to, of what was going on. And and so 2013, a couple of women, including Janet Mock, Laverne Cox, and other folks came together in response to that violent, uh, that, that casualty, right, of a trans woman being murdered, uh, created Trans Women of uh, Color Collective. And then after that, each woman went their separate ways and did uh, their own thing and, their own, and, and blossomed into their own, um, what their calling was, their talent was. And so 2014, um, again, 2013, I'm working at Banana Republic, I'm being discriminated. And then I started uh, talking to the girls who were in that collective about the work that they were doing. And then there was a, a Latinx uh, trans woman named Vanessa Victoria who was working in research. And she said, well, we're hiring. Would you like to be a research assistant? I can get you a job. And listen, I'm Caribbean. And so if I can read, if I can write, you know, we, we do not discriminate <laughs> against uh, whatever is going to put the, the bills on the table, especially if it was meaning, uh, meaningful work. And so this research was particularly working with trans women uh, addressing HIV um, and how, you know, how to create prevention, but also looking at what happened, how did we get there conversation. And so the intervention was sitting down with trans women and, and looking at all the disparities of substance use coping sex work and so I would sit down and interview with a lot of them women and I always often would see women who look like me and I'm like wow they had a different story than I did you know I was able to go to college and I was able to you know swallow the the hurt and the the pain of being even pushed out for my own folks but that wasn't the story for everyone you know school push out was a thing for them um and to the point that they couldn't finish school and so even while working in research, 
one thing that I didn't know that I was going to be combated by was racism, right? I, you know, I knew about it. I heard about it, but because I lived where mostly the people that looked like me were black and brown, I didn't really, uh, experience it at large. You know, I grew up in, um, in Bushwick in a, in an area where if you went this way, you were in Bastar. If you went this way, you were in Woodward, Queen, you know, if you went the other way, you were in Cobble Hill. So I was right in the midst of, of, you know, in a different world. When you go to fashion design or college, that's when you connect with other races uh, and other people of different lived experiences. And I recognized how oftentimes the white folks or white people in the space were making conversations about, uh, because again, this police brutality is not something new, right? And so there were often conversations around that. And this is around in 2008, going a little bit further, when I started fashion design school, uh, where President Obama was being, um, you know, his election and his campaigning, and then he finally uh, got into office. But I, I would hear some of the right rhetoric around whiteness and and um, just anti-blackness, just p- anti-blackness. Period. And so, working in fashion design, one of the things that often don't tend to talk about is that racism is everywhere at every job, every, you know, every being wherever you can find um, hatred, it's there, right? And so I was reminded about my blackness being a threat to a lot of folks, which um, was hard for me, right? Because in, in, in a sense, I wanted to be creative. I wanted to, you know, I was having like, I'm in fashion design. I get to use my aesthetics and serve women. I get to give something to women, especially women like me. But I often was graded on why my work was too African, why my work was too black. You know, I was always sometimes getting seen just because I was speaking to my culture and what I knew my culture needed. Um, and so after that, I recognized fashion wasn't just the place for me, but I want to serve other, uh, an immediate, com- address immediate um, erasure, which was of blackness and the, the, all, the, all the amount of what blackness was, which happened to be transplanted. Um, and you just took me way back to 2014. And so I was discriminated in that job too. And then I ended up at the, the place that I am now, uh, Colin Lord Community Health Center, um, working in healthcare as well as being a founder of my own project. You talk about being pushed out by your family. So what was your familial experience growing up? Yeah, so grow, I, growing up... Um, with my family, I, you know, I still call my parents amazing because they only loved in the ways they knew how to, right? And so even while, I, even while speaking about them, I still offer them grace. And I know that there's some, that, that some things that they could have done better, right? And so some of the challenges that I experienced with my, uh, with my family is that, you know, my father wasn't often around, you know, or not around at all, to be quite honest with you. Um, you know, the, the my upbringing happened to be with my my maternal side of the family, uh, which is the Jamaican side with my mom, my grandmother, and my aunt. I call them my three pillars of love. Um, they were the the women who were of grace, um, prayer warriors, um, uh, making sure that food, people were uh, fed. The matriarchs of the family. Um, I also had uncles, and you know, I had my brother um, from my mom's side, and. You know, the challenges were I didn't see, I didn't see conversations that felt right and vibrations to me. I didn't, I knew that I felt something, but I didn't have the word because, you know, my mom was a single mom, 
you know, my mom was also a single mom trying to figure out in her mental capacity, right, of, of having trauma as a child, uh, you know, sexual assaults and all these things and conversations that she, you know, she was trying to navigate and then the hurt of not having someone who she loved and raising two children. So I was in the center of all of that. And so sometimes when I needed my mom to be present to what I was feeling and who I was, uh, she just didn't have the capacity to do so because she was in the space of being uh, a, a migrant to this country of America um, and also um, Black, right, or African Caribbean and trying to put food on the table. Uh, and so, you know, my struggle was trying to make peace <laughs> and trying not to create too much stress for my mom. Um, and in that, I didn't get to often voice the needs that I met. I never wanted my mom to have to come up to school because if my mom came up to school, it was like the lioness came. My mom is a Leo, so the lioness would come up. If, if, if anybody bullied me or bothered uh, me, I would not want to tell my mom because if my mother came up, it was like, oh God, mom, please. She is like the lioness comes out of her. She does not play, does not play. So in a way, my mom was still protective, but I didn't want that side. And I wish I would have utilized that a lot more. <laughs> when I think about it, I wish I would have utilized that. I think my struggle for myself was feeling ashamed that if I was to voice what I felt inside that, I wouldn't experience love. I got that. I understood that concept because on the TV, you would see the shaming of blackness. You would also see the shaming of uh, the intersecting of blackness when you have black lesbian, black gay, black trans. Um, and so I was afraid to even say, hey, I feel something about that. That feels right. That connects with me. You know, I, I wasn't at that space then and there. It took me um, 17 to start unfolding with words and using words to say, this is how I'm feeling. A lot of my time spent journaling. And so sometimes my mom will say, I read your journal. And she's like, I'm so sorry. She would just be crying. I'm like, mom, you're not supposed to read a journal. But, you know, parents, they, they find a way because they want to know what's going on, especially when you're just too quiet, you know? Yeah. yeah. Have you found it? How have you found it to take up space now? So you made yourself small because you didn't want to be inconvenient. That's you know, right. as kids, a lot of times we are aware of what our parents are going through because we are made aware of what our parents go through. You know, money don't yes, go trees. Absolutely. Okay. That's you know, right. We don't get allowances and stuff like that. Oh, when you're outside, don't give me no problems. Right. I'm going to touch you. nothing. Well, don't the, cry. Yeah, like right. Don't embarrass right. me. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yes. so yes. as an adult, as you have stepped into voicing for yourself, advocating for others, how has it been on your journey to take up more space? Has it been, have you had access to that? Uh, I wouldn't say I've, I have access. I think I'm at a place where I'm at, you know, the peak of taking up space, right? And giving myself permission. Um, that is a process. I also find that process connecting to healing uh, for me. So I'm at a place where I'm also learning, rediscovering on a quest of rediscovering myself, right? What feels right? What does love look like? Again, how to re-love myself, but also, you know, when you grow up as a Black person, your first example of love is through your parents. And so if your foundation is a little bit rocky or you experience abandonment, that plays on the psyche, right? But that also plays on 
what you might end up uh, subconsciously mirroring on who you love. And so I had to take a valuation about uh, how I was loving myself, but how, what I was inviting into my space, my sacred space that I didn't even know that it, I, I, got, I, I, I get to, I got to create a sacred space. And so I'm at a space of while serving and being a voice that I'm at a place now that I'm at the, the peak of stepping back just a slightly a bit to reevaluate and take inventory, take inventory about what I have done so far, what has worked, what I had said yes to that sometimes I should have had said no. Hmm. Um, and what I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah. Sometimes we're just choices. saying yes. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we're just saying yes to say yes because that yes is to put food on the uh, tables. But sometimes that yes, even though it's um, giving us something in that moment for of survival, it actually takes so much more from us. And I'm saying that for myself, it had taken so much more. So I mean, reevaluating um, how I said yes and how I allow folks, you know, who are going to use this for a spiritual molestation, right? That folks sometimes use or um, prostituting your talent, uh, tokenizing your talent, all of those things. And so I'm at a point of uh, really reflecting and I, I find a little bit of gratitude, even in the quarantine to say, you know, thank, thank you to have this time to do so. Cause many folks don't have that time to reflect. I'm grateful for that. Even in working in healthcare now that I'm able to uh, do that uh, through my advocacy. So think- I'm finding my voice. Yeah. Come on. Finding voice. <laughs> but like, I, I, I suppose it's like a lifelong process, you know, because as, it is. as you yeah. age, your priorities change. That's right. So it's like always right. speaking to whatever you're going through, whenever you're going through that. Yeah, I thought that I um, needed to find a love, um, particularly from um, males uh, or masculine of centered energy that, you know, I would always, I want to be in a relationship. I want to be in a relationship. I'm going to find that I actually don't want to be in a relationship. I actually want to uh, be in a quest of healing those uh, wounds, childhood trauma, um, and other afflictions, you know, so, you know, that was actually, that was exactly (laughs) the question I was going to ask. I was going to ask, how has your relationship with your father impacted relationship with romantic partners? Uh, great question. Um, it, it, I, 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 my, my father recently passed away in July, July 5th of uh, last year. And so it's interesting that uh, the conversation of my dad constantly happens because um, even now I, I've been getting uh, flashes and reminder of certain things. Uh, my relationship with my father was um, very indifferent. I remember because um, I love, even to this day, I will say I love my father dearly, but there has been some pain that I didn't recognize that I got, I got to, I get to be angry about such as, um, him saying, I'm going to come see you and come pick you up. And I would wait at the window from sunup to sundown, even midnight and said, mom, but he said he was coming. He's coming. And seeing, I now remember that look in my mom's eyes, um, halfway tearful, but ha- halfway giving you hope. Like, okay, baby. All right. Uh, so we step on with just a little bit longer. Right. But I, I could hear my mom walk to the, bar, uh, the bathroom and sob in disappointment. Um, and so what that then said to me that I wasn't important enough. So I thought, 
I wasn't important enough for time to make time for me. Um, it's so interesting right now because the song for me that keeps coming up, even when I'm walking in stores, um, it's something that was my mom would tell me what the meaning of the song. And I don't know the name of it, but it, it says the cats and the cradles and the silver dog, little John um, Blue and the man got old, something like that. I don't know when you're coming home, when we'll get together then. And the song is basically about, um, uh, if anyone listened to Light FM, it was one of the songs that often played. Um, and it was about um, the little boy wanting to spend time with his father, but the father will often say, next time, soon, next time, soon, next time, soon. And then as the boy got older and the father was aging, the father wanted to spend time with the uh, the now adult man um, and what ended up happening with the now adult man and what ended up happening was that the, the man said, I don't have time for you. And so I thought about oftentimes my father just standing me up, standing me up, standing me up. And then when I did get to spend time with him, I remember around the age of seven experiencing, um, you know, Korean people call it discipline. Um, but in my work um, now as in healthcare and working with a mental health provider, um, I can now recognize it as abuse, right? And a lot of it being connected to post-slavery of how we whip and beat our child. And I remember simply being beaten um, to a column um, 31, 30 times because all I can do was count at the time. I was like, one, two, three, four, and crying and, and fearful. And um, I remember my... Uh, my father going to grab a machete um, and my uncle Peter um, had stopped him. It was like, you know, get a grip. And I remember the girlfriend he was dating time. Her name was Gail, um, you know, just apologizing for what happened because it, it, it stemmed from us going, you know, I was spending time with her and her kids uh, with my brother, my half brother from my father's side. And we went to the store and I ended up taking a gum a bubble gum and his way of disciplining about, you know, not taking things. And, you know, me, I thought it was hers because I, I swore, saw it fall out of her purse. I'm like, oh, this is yours. But it wasn't hers. She knocked it over. I was wrong. But in the car, I'm like, hey, 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 this yours. She wasn't paying me no amount mine. I think that's also why I'm also finding my voice because I, I felt like I was annoying to um, adults. Like, you know, adults, sometimes when they're in the adulting, they really are not uh, patient with the kids and they're like just be quiet be quiet be quiet be quiet and so you know I end up chewing the gum and you know bubblelicious gum if you know the smell when bubblelicious and you bite into it, it uh you it like it air it, 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 it's like for breeze it smells up the whole um uh place or whatever proximity so we're in the car and, and <laughs> you better paint you better right, paint a picture right. right so we're in the car you know I'm a storyteller right so we're in the car and Everybody, you know, it's me, my brother, uh, Gail, her, her, her child, her two children, her, her, her uh, I think he was a teenager son and her daughter. And they was like, you smell that? Who got gum? Um, and I'm quiet now. Now I stopped chewing because I was, I was chewing deadly. <laughs> but now I'm like, mm. it was like, who got gum? And my brother's like, not me. It's like, who got gum? And everybody's like, mm-mm. I'm like, mm-mm, you got gum? Mm-mm. Now we're bu- bubblish for a child's mouth, uh, child's mouth that's small. You know you can't talk, you can't do anything because that square piece has taken up the whole circumference of your mouth, and now you have just let the whole car know that you are the one to remove it. So, you know what she then went and told my dad that I stole it. And so, for my father in that moment was about 
teaching me about um, stealing. And sometimes I recognize and even trying to create a narrative and pathologizing that that was his way of disciplining me as you cannot do stuff like that as a black male that you will become. Um, and so, you know, that, that, that night, I think it was around so interestingly, cause I remember it was around summer school. So it was around July, July, um, July 4th. It was a week, week of July, uh, the, the July 4th weekend. Um, and he did construction, um, so we went, we, you know, we went back to his, uh, his site that he was working. Then we went home the next day is July 4th barbecue is happening. Oh no, the, the, the night before, you know, they're preparing stuff. And he had like this, uh, storage or this shed is what they call it where all his construction work is. And so everybody is lined up in a circle, like Gail, her two, um, my brother, um, him and you know my uncle and then he and he was like did you steal something that is um i'm like no no and as as each time i said no slap pow slap pow and we're talking about in the face so imagine seven years old something small um being hit with force um by an adult um and then i felt my head hitting against the column and again all i could do was help that's all i can do is one two three four um, and I was able to reach the 3031. Um, and, you know, you know, Gail took me um, and she, you know, washed my face and she was, quite, she was in tears and she was apologizing. Um, and then after, you know, the next day um, with him drinking, I remember a beer and that was the first time I tasted beer um, and apologizing. You know, he said, that's like, let's talk. Um, he was like, you know why I disciplined you like this? And so it's on me. I'm like, no, I don't know. But I'm like, I better say yes, because, uh, I don't want to experience what I experienced, uh, uh, that, that day or the day before. And so, um, the next, I think after the July 4th, July 5th, um, I ended up going back home or sometime that week because I was going to start summer school. Um, and I remember waking up that morning and saying, mom, is my face still red? And that's when my mom was like, <gasps> again, and I I shared that moment because my mom wasn't, again, to my experience, wasn't as present as I would like her to. And I didn't want to create um, problems. But she was like, oh, my God, what happened? Why is your face so um, red? And I told her what happened. And I remember my mom, you know, calling him and cussing him out in some possible words and, you know, explaining, like, this doesn't look good because now I have to bring our child to school. And the first thing that's going to happen is ACS. And how could you discipline your child in such a way and create so much harm? And I remember um, since then, my, my want to being around him shifted. It shifted. Even um, reaching out and talking with him, I didn't want to because I didn't, the, the safety um, that I wanted to feel from him was no longer there was no longer there. Um, but there was this, because I was, I was, lo- I am a loving person and my name, it was named after, um, beloved of God. Um, and so that's, who, that's who I was. I, anybody who knows me is just, I, I got a smile on my face and I, I'm a lover of people, um, particularly black people. And so I, I still was finding forgiveness and my mom could not understand like how, but I, you know, just, just how I felt that, you know, has that, so, has yeah. that translated into your romantic relationships? Um, has that translated into my romantic relationship? I think in the beginning, yes. 
yes. In the beginning, yes. In the beginning, in, in terms of like a uh, romantic relationship, I was noticing, now I can recognize a pattern, that the men that I, um, that I, I guess were, you know, attracted to were men who were inconsistent or men who will make promises and not keep their word. They say X but do Y. Um, or masculine center folks who, who, who were, who were that way, you know? Um, yeah, I can, I can see that. Or even possessiveness. Um, you know, one thing I'd never felt was beautiful until, um, recently, right? Cause even if somebody was like, you're so pretty, you're so beautiful. I never felt it. Never. Recently, because, recently like when? Like, like now it like, it, you know, it's like starting to sink in. Like, I would say 2020, like well, 2015, uh, 2015 okay. when I, I, I started um, feeling beautiful. I mean, you've been fine. I would take pictures. I would, it, oh, but, you would take I'm some saying, pictures now. <laughs> yeah, she's not but camera pretty, shy. But, yeah, right. But beautiful in a way of. From the inside out, not from the outside in. Yeah, all of that beautiful yeah. from the like where I don't have to put on the mask of like you know painting my face or beating right. my face for the god whatever you call it. right like, I can actually just say this is me I'm black I am a woman of trans experience this is my journey and just accepting that beauty because you know what I would often hear was somebody like oh you're so pretty I would often hear them in a way of a condescending tone because sometimes it would be that you know uh, to be honest like someone like they would say you're beautiful, but what they're really trying to say, you're so beautiful, but what you're so re- beautiful to be trans or to be a uh, woman of trans, or what they're actually trying to say to be a person who was assigned male at birth. You know, that's what they're actually you trying pass. to say. You know what I mean? Right, right. And so for me, I didn't, I, I wasn't taking it as compliment. I was taking it as jazz. I was taking it as. Um, you're beautiful as for someone. a trans woman. Right. Uh, you know, and I wanted to, I want folks to really see the, the, even in my scars and even in, you know, what I was going through to really see my heart, like take my heart into your hands and hold it gently and see like how, you know, the hurt, the afflictions and pain that that's what has created my beauty because I'm able to per- persevere and be resilient through those things. And um, and that I you. don't, mm-hmm. yeah. I was just going to say, speaking of your heart, Miss Barbara, Patricia Francis. Oh my goodness. You have done your research. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Barbara Patricia what? Francis, your Jamaican grandmama. Yeah. Oh my goodness. You, oh, you have the this love that I have for my grandma. Yes. It's apparent. Um, oh, so oftentimes, oftentimes our, our relationships with our mothers can be complicated if our mothers yeah, but the grandmothers are just like, come on, uh-huh. they, they, they cut but through the, the noise. Uh-huh. It's because our mothers are in direct con- contact and we hold them directly responsible. But That's grandmothers right. are not in direct contact. So we don't hold them mm. as responsible as we would our mothers. But you said of Miss Barbara Patricia Francis, you said, my grandmother reminds me of the power of intention and action. She has shown me the harvest that can blossom through persistence and dedication. Tell us what she gave you. Oh, wow. Yeah, I remember my grandmother coming up this summer um, and we were talking and I, I feel necessary to share this because my grandmother said, you know, I don't have education. You know, my grandmother w- w- was and I it is this essential worker. Now she's um, at a place of uh, 
resting and finally relaxing at, after beating cancer. But she talked about feeling not powerful because she didn't have an education and, you know, not understanding certain words. Like sometimes you have to read for, but my grandmother gave me everything that was necessary to survive and to be and to serve. My grandmother uh, told me, uh, those who know better, do better. Um, my grandmother also told me about the saying is, sometimes when your hands is in the line mount, take your time and draw it out, which meant that when there is uh, uh, chaos happening, don't add to the uh, fuel, but take your time to process, take your time to create understanding, take your, under your time to take yourself out of the equation. My grandmother had a saying for every moment. My grandmother always reminded me to go to the Psalms. My grandmother reminded me that I was loved. Um, my grandmother was the person who was able to give me the dollar when I didn't have the money. My grandmother was there to, when I really messed up, to ring my ears and be like, this is not acceptable. My grandmother was there for my graduation. Um, my grandmother, even in her, you know, traditional Christian Jamaican ways of being, was able to remind me that love is there even in my meanness. Uh, just like my mom would remind me that, um, you know, I was a beloved of God and I am beloved of God. And so my grandmother just is that gentle reminder and she's so sweet. Um, my grandmother is a lover of a lover of people. That's who I, I get that from. Um, my mom is a lioness, so she she does not play. She's cutthroat. She, you know, my mom is quick with the mouth. You know, she lets you know, like, uh-uh, you ain't gonna do that. My mom is the warrior. My grandmother's where I learned the um, gentleness. And sometimes I used to call her uh, naive. Uh, I remember one time picking up my uh, phone and somebody was like, can I speak to Miss Cutie? I'm like, who the heck is Miss Cutie? Because, you know, in Jamaica, Jamaica we, they have pet names. I'm like, who is Miss Cutie? And my grandma's like, oh, that's me. And I, I laughed at the thing. I'm like, that's exactly where she is. She's a cute um, present, uh, a, a, a fresh, a fresh, fresh breeze. She's the rose garden that she planted that I remember growing up with. Yeah, my grandmother oh, is just amazing. She that's is so beautiful. sweet. What a living tribute and what a joy to still have her in your life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. She, she, she is the, she is the, the second mother. Uh, I always say my aunt is the third mother because it takes a, it takes a village. Um, to raise. I'm still struggling and grappling with having men in my life. I will say that because I think men, um, and we also as women get to hold ourselves accountable of how we uh, teach men to how to be men. And so sometimes there's space and capacity to create a uh, space for others or uh, something that's other or different from their understanding, it is a struggle for them. It is, it's very much a struggle. Yeah. But the thing is that we're all humans and like they say that the brains are the same. The chemicals may be different, but they say the brains are the same. So it takes logic and order. And they claim to be logical. Mm -hmm. First of all, we don't center men on this show, but we'll talk about them briefly. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Okay, yes. (laughs) But but they claim to be the more logical, but like, they're not because I watched that. I wa- okay. For example, ooh, I September I know where 2019. You're going. September 2019. You were on the Breakfast Club. Malik Yoba taking up space. Taking up space. He the whole conversation really seemed to be centered around him grappling with his what he call what he doesn't want to call trans attraction. He says he likes all women. Some women happen to be trans. He's attracted to them as well. And he came on a whole show taking up all this space just to explain that. If you're attracted to women, you're attracted to women. What does that have to do with whether they're trans or not? 
But because he's a black man, he wants to spend all this time defending the fact that he's exactly. attracted That's to women. And so what ha- often and happens you, in those and Karma spaces, Carrera, First of all, I have opinions about Karma Career, but whatever. But they brought, <laughs> they brought you, you two ladies on and like you didn't even get to talk. Yeah. No, I, you know, I, no, I, I, I look back. I look back at that moment and, and said, had I had the power of really evaluating my, my yes, uh, I would have taken more time to ask more questions. I would have taken more time to be assertive and pause and say, okay, let's stop. Uh, let's reshift this. Um, and also, I, you know, I wish the space was more inviting because when you think about it, you know, if you can watch the video in the space, they weren't, the, 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 the room is male dominated, even oh. from the camera crew. And, and so I, I, my, I kept looking at Angela and Yi, um, in a way of like, I see, I get you, um, um, because I could see how that can be a struggle as, um, being a woman, but also being a Latinx and, in her, uh, her intersection of her identities, not being able to fill all of the space of what women, women are and, and who we are. So I, I was like, uh, this is. It was not one of my best, you know. I got I got a lot of feedback from the, a lot of those things, and yeah, yeah. I, I ref, it's one of the things I feel reflect. It's difficult. It's a difficult dynamic. Yeah, because I I could be yeah. clear on what my intentions was. Uh, I could be clear on every uh, all of the things, but what it what it has done for me now is put myself in a place of if folks didn't know me now they really know me. You know, um, I remember coming back home. Uh, because I'm a, uh, you know, I, I don't make a lot of money. You know, I, I, I take the train like everybody else. Um, and now that I live in Jersey, I definitely take in the train. Um, I don't drive in Jersey. I'm glad the fame hasn't tainted you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because Girl, I'm like, on the breakfast club, but I still take the train like the rest uh, of the folks. Yeah. <laughs> I take the train like the rest, the rest of the rest of the folks. And I think folks who see that feel like they have proximity to me. And so I'm often being stopped. Um, I remember this guy was like, you on television? And I was like, yes. And, you know, every day it was like, can I get a dollar? Uh, can I get this? Uh, can I? It became every day asking me for something. And uh, I would off, always decline. Like, you know, sorry, unfortunately, I don't have it to give to you. I don't have it to give to you. Um, I don't keep cash on me. It's not something I do, but I don't. I don't have it. And I always have a, a clear discernment of energy and spirit and, and seeing spirits that walk. And sometimes folks will use your moment of vulnerability of stopping to do and create harm. I remember see also after doing the breakfast club, how oftentimes um, I would just, folks would just come and walk up to me and just feel the need to ask me questions, um, which is good because the not good, I would say, which is, I could understand, I should say, I, I could understand the curiosity, but then what that also says is that you have the privilege to just have access to me because you saw me on the breakfast club and that's not so. And yeah, yeah, demand and, labor mm-hmm. of me in the that's moment. That's right. That's right. Because that's not your job. That's right. I mean, that's like right. it is your job, but like not, you know, it's not yeah. 24 hours. If you're walking down the street, you got somewhere to go just like everybody else. And exactly. And and I often have to remind folks when, you know, they greet me as that, oh, we need a trans woman in the space to talk. And I'm like, oh, I am not going to be talking about that. I have to remind folks is that I am Black. 
I'm a woman of trans experience. I am a healer, uh, you know, who is in the process of healing as well. I, you know, I am a daughter. I am a aunt. I am, I got to normalize everything and remind folks to take a step back, right? Um, before pounding me with, so who do you like to have sex with and what do you like to do and what this sexuality, like have a moment mm-hmm. to, to like really step back and say, that's not all that I am. And acknowledge there, you as a human being. Yeah. First. 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 And I, and I could understand how, because uh, transness, not to confuse uh, uh, gender identity to sexuality, how sometimes I get conflated and so folks are also in a space of discovering and learning uh, new and want to understand that sometimes even in their ways of trying to understand and ask questions that it can feel um, invasive. It can also be uh, pathologizing. It, it can also be uh, not supportive. Um, and so, yeah, all, I, now I'm at a space of re- recentering and reshifting folks and really reminding folks that, you know, I am human. I do cry. I do feel. I am still trying to figure out what love looks like as a black um, as a black person. Um, who you know, my first example of love was uh, through a heterosexual couple. You know, a cisgender couple. What does that look like to be trans and find love? You know, what does that look like? I didn't have an example. There is no journal. There is no books, which bring me to uh, what actually uh, made me wanted to do. Uh, road was that I wanted to collectively get queer folks so we can have the discussion not just about our healing as it pertains to you know the African trade slave but also like what does it mean to love ourselves and to relove ourselves and find love in the midst of being marginalized and feeling like there's a foot on our necks and spine um what does it look like and so one of the other projects that I'm coming up with and and even a podcast is uh, my pillars of love um, and uh, 111 queer uh, love stories, which 111, my birthday is November 1st. Um, so 111, I want to, um, I'm reaching out to folks to write about what love looks like from all lines, polyamory, uh, self-care, um, love after grief, love after um, domestic intimate partner violence. Like queer folks experience a lot of things. And I think folks think we've removed to it because um, oftentimes when we think about folks who use ideology, um, theology um, around us, is that it's their sexuality, it's their lifestyle. It's like, no, it's not. Not everyone chooses um, a lot of what they think is attached to our identities and who we choose to love. There's some things that we get it's to really, break down. Yeah. It's really so layered because yes. it is... It is diverting from this idea of what is normal and what is normal has been hammered into us for the sake of convenience. Mm-hmm. It's like what our brains do in order to simplify things. Is it yes. male? Is it female? Um, is this Black right? Is this wrong? We right. have a, yes. In social work, you'll learn a lot about that. Um, uh, black and white, you know, either or. We often are overgeneralizing. Uh, overgeneralizing. Yes. You don't often get so to think of convenience, convenience, the nuance, the nuance. Yes, yes. We don't get to we have get the to that um, nuance. Yeah, we don't get to have the conversation about the both ends. Right. Mm-hmm. That's something both that. Yes. Yeah. I'm very interested in talking about the both and. Yeah. So speaking of both and, and speaking of nuance, you have had to 
develop a language for yourself. You said you started to do that around the age of 17 because you have all the words. Even like, <laughs> you remind me of Bell Hooks. You remind okay. me of Bell Hooks because like looking, yes, because looking at your website, looking at whatever you put on social media, it's like you need a dictionary nearby just to, uh. <laughs> it's like the imperialist, capitalistic, white supremacist, <laughs> patriarchy, <laughs> like Miss Bell Hooks, like, but that's what that's what our experiences I think drive us to do. I think that I could relate in in the same mm-hmm. type of way is that I wanted to find the words mm-hmm. because words would pinpoint the feelings roaming around in my body. Right. And help and- to bring them out of me so I could get it out and it not terrorize me or haunt me. And imagine, and- imagine mm-hmm. many black folks across identity expect, uh, expressions, identity and sexuality and, and a lived experience often aren't giving the words to describe what they're feeling. The words. Yes. Like such as microaggressions that are actually mi- macroaggressions. Yes. It took me, it took me 20 something to get the, the word microaggression. Like where, why is this not taught in school? Because if this was taught in school, folks will be able to communicate their, their feeling in a way that generates understanding that allows us to pause before we react, allow us to pause before we call someone difficult, allow us to pause before we say a girl is being too fast, allow us to pause before we say, uh, you know, this boy is aggressive or, or folks are angry and allow us to just take a moment to pause and to feel. To get into that nuance, to create a Mm -hmm. bigger understanding. Yes, yes. So, what? How did you? How did you go about that? Was it because of the spaces you were entering? Was it because you sought out people, like you said, how how uh, life changing it was for you to see someone who expressed themselves the way you could see yourself expressing yourself? How did you? How did you find those words? I found those words um, through traveling. Believe it or not. Um, traveling is where I was able to escape, but also learn it, you know, from a very young age. Um, I think my first, uh, experience of traveling was going back and forth between my mom and my dad. Right. And so every time I'm in the car, I'm looking at the window, I'm looking at the trees, I'm looking at the birds, I'm looking at black folks, I'm looking at white, I'm looking at everything, I'm absorbing it in a, because uh, that's what, as kids, that's what we're doing. We're sponging, we're, we're, we're receiving it. Um, and I was always taking it all in. But there was something in, in the motion of moving and imagery, right? Me physically moving and seeing images as we're driving that, that made me want to ex- explore. Um, it also traveling, as I started going into like, you know, school, you know how you have to field trip? I love the field trip. Love even though although many times I couldn't afford it, I had to beg my grandma for mom and my grandpa at the time uh, for money. The field trips were something awesome for me because I got to get out of the, the closeness of the classroom, the, the bullying, because my voice was too feminine or uh, the switch of my hip or the way I talk. Again, because of being so, um, um, a microscope was often on me because I wasn't like the other kids. 
um, I would write a lot. And then I would be very talkative to those who allow me to uh, have the space to talk. They, they, my mom used to come be called up to school because they're like, your child talks too much. But I was talking because I didn't get a, a space to talk at home. I didn't get a space to talk with other friends. So when I got that one person that was like, I really dig your vibe. I'm like, oh, and let me tell you this. And it was so to, to the classroom. <laughs> it was so disruptive. But I was like, someone gets me. Someone is creating space for me. Um, and so in the field trip, it was good because I get to, I got to be with that person who saw me um, and we got to explore together. We got to look at the aquarium and we got to go to Coley Island and all this thing. And my mother was the first example of traveling. I would, I often, I love pictures. I love looking at my grandmother and my, and the women in my family and seeing how they age. Um, and I saw my mom in this white, this white or pinkish dress and she's on this, you know, the buggy, like the, the, the uh, horse and carriage kind of thing. Uh, and she's mm-hmm. sitting there with, you know, the fashionable pose and just in, in her self-care joy. And I'm like, mom, where was this? And who were you with? She was like, I was by myself and I was in Bermuda. I said, Bermuda, where's that? And she was like, it's in the Caribbean. There's another Caribbean island. And explained, she was like, you traveled by yourself. You weren't scared. She was like, no. I said, so who took the picture? Because, you know, as a kid, you're asking a lot of questions because you're like, where was this? How, what was around you? What was the smells? I wanted to know it all. And, you know, she just broke it down that she would just ask a stranger to take a picture and she wanted to experience the world. So my mom was that first example before she had kids that she was traveling. She was a traveler. She loved to cook, you know, and so that was who that's where I found that. I think that's where it connected to my DNA. What I love is that experience. My mom loves to love to learn, you know. My mom always said we've got big heads in the family because, you know, our brain is just wants to absorb everything. That, you know, because my mom has a big forehead. And I got a big forehead. It's like, you know, they used to say uh, she got a big head. I'm like, yep, because she's smart. And that's exactly how I feel. But got my <laughs> <laughs> I got my um, my adventures from her as well. Um, and even just that essence of migrating. And so in in high school, um, when I finally got to high school, I, you know, I in as my childhood, I played the instruments, um, the violin. Uh, then the clarinet, and then um, and then no, yeah, it was the recorder, violin up to middle school, and then at, when I went to Dr. Susan S. Uh, Dr. Susan S. McKinney uh, Secondary School of the Arts uh, for high school, I ended up switching to the clarinet, and uh, the the high school was a part of uh, this marching band culture. So I don't know if you know about the Brooklyn Steppers. Um, um, and we will often go around September, right? So we would go down to all the homecomings and be in the parades um, that would lead up to the game. Um, and so we would march. And in that experience is where I got a sense of escaping because as I was aging and teenaging, I was getting frustrated because I didn't have the language to describe what I was feeling. And so I found resonance in traveling and being on the bus and having my headphones and sitting. And I will always sit in the back of the bus because I didn't want to be bothered. I didn't want to be picked in because, you know, if you fell asleep on the bus, you were either going to get popcorn or something on you because we're mischievous as children. Um, But sometimes uh, too much was just too much. Uh, And so I would end up in Morgan State, Delaware State. I mean, and I just enjoyed, I enjoyed getting, getting off the bus and getting away from where I was. Uh, because it was also getting away from the hurt, the abuse, the the teasing, 
And it wasn't until um, I think call after college until 2015, 14, a friend of mine, her name is Cheyenne, who I went to high school with, but also I grew up in a neighborhood with her. Um, and so we, it was just beautiful that we went through elementary, um, middle school, and even high school together, but at different rates. Like she was a much ahead of me. She called me and she was like, I'm so proud of you because this is, you know, I'm, you know, I'm showing the world who I am and I'm in makeup and I'm in fashion design. And, you know, she would come over and I would do her makeup because she would go on dates. And I'm like, yeah, you should wear something I designed here. Wear this, wear this. And uh, we were just talking. She's like, I was like, I love that you travel. She's like, you should travel. In my head, I'm like, I love traveling, but I've only been traveling within different states. And she's like, no, honey, I've been to like Dubai and all this. Oh, well, she had been to like Canada and some other places. I'm like, I would love to travel. She's like, all right. Christmas Day of 2014, she gives me the call and she says, there is a ticket to Dubai for a um, round trip for, I think, uh, $200. Like, shoot, that's actually not bad. That's what I can afford. I'm like, oh, she's like, you should do it. You should do it. Just do it. Do it right now. Do it right now. Do it right now. And I did it. And now it took me a while to get to that place. Um, but I was in already in a conversation about what it looks like to say yes to myself and to play, you know, Shonda Ryan book at the time, the year of the yes. So I was like, all right, I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to do it. But in my head, I'm like, shit, TSA, because this is at a time where, um, you know, dysphoria tends to show up like you know, passing and being comfortable to just go to TSA because again, we live in a world of men like this, women like this. I'm like, shit, I just bought a ticket and I don't even have an updated passport. And I only have a certain amount of time to get it done because the trip is in February, March. And this is at the time that I'm still working at um, the research center before I'm going to go into uh, working at Kalaloa. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this done. Nonetheless, I muscled up, you know, you know, I did what I had to do with everything to go through the x-ray and get, and I was in Dubai and it was one of the first best trips of being international that made me say, I need more of this, even if I'm doing it with someone or not. Now traveling with girls and women, it, it can sometimes be a lot. I found myself being the peacemaker because energy gets hot, you know, it's hot, you know, it's, liquor involved I often find myself playing a peacemaker amount to women um uh in spaces but that was that's a role that you occupied from yeah from birth it seems like yes that's the role you played with your mother yeah absolutely absolutely yeah you get oh you get me (laughs) yep yeah yeah and so after that um, in working in a lot of motivational spaces, I think that's one of the things that I often don't get to speak about when I'm being interviewed that, you know, I've had the experience of, you know, taking life coaching classes and, um, being at a a place of being a coaching or practicing and coaching as well. And so it was, uh, one of the trainers that was, um, in my, um, group, um, was getting married. Um, and so he reached out to me and he was like, I want that Visions by Nala uh, beat for my wife. Can you beat uh, my wife to be? Can you beat her uh, face for our photo shoot? I was like, absolutely. She came to my ho- uh, the house I was sitting at the time. And, you know, we're just, you know, when I do somebody's makeup or I'm styling or fashion design, when I get the chance to do that, my creative side instead of advocacy side, um, I like to create an experience for that person. 
because I'm clear, especially if they're Black, that's the first time that they get to have a moment to themselves. So I always have like healing music or vibe of music. I have something refreshing for them to drink. I have the diffuser going. I got plants going. And I, I take a moment and say, before I start your makeup, I need you to breathe. I need you just to breathe. Just take a moment to breathe. And then we sound like, what are you looking for? What is your vision for yourself when, you, when you're taking this picture? What is this day going to look like? What colors do you see? And then I start creating. And then I, in co- conversing for, with her, you know, she was from Zamba, um, uh, Zambia, uh, but she grew up in um, Botswana, uh, Gaborone, Botswana, uh, Botswana. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. And I was like, oh, wow. I said, so where's the wedding to the she's going to be? She's like, it's going to be there. I said, really? She's like, you should come. I would love you there. I love your energy. You should come. Because I hadn't really known her, but I knew him. And I said, I would love that. I said, when? Because, you know, in, the, in my head, the conversation of money and finance was a thing because I was also clear that I was still trying to make ends meet. I was still trying to take care of my, you know, my mom as much and still trying to pay bills. Because during this time, my grandmother had got a divorce from what she then discovered was she was in a toxic relationship with a man um, that didn't quite understand how to love her in the way that she needed. And so she finally got, uh, in her 60-something, 70s, like, I, this is actually not working because we teach women to, to, to mother and stay in relationships that sometimes are not supporting. And then what took my mom kind of enforcing her, like, is this really working for you? You know you don't have to be in there. And so that's the place where my mom taught me self-care as well first um, through her conversation with my, with my grandmother. And my mom often seemed like the, the black sheep in the family because like, you always turn in trouble. But my mom was so clear through her trauma and her going through therapy, not everything it, that we have to accept as women, not everything is okay. And to say yes and to smile and to be okay with it. Um, that's an amazing going back an amazing example yeah. of, of the effect of when somebody is healing themselves how through the generations yeah. it it can translate so that reached her mother and it got to reach her daughter as well and yeah. how like fantastic is yeah. that yeah and even now you know unfortunately my mom is at a place of still healing where where my mom and my my grandmother are well my mom isn't speaking to most of the folks in our family and I share that in confidence but I think it's important to share because um, in families that there are sometimes where our healing process that sometimes we have to separate from the folks who have caused us, caused us harm, whether it was intentionally or not, right? Because as Black folks, again, we are still surviving, trying to figure out, we aren't giving a, a book or a plan, to, uh, a, a book or guidance of how to love, how to teach. And so, uh, you know, the result of that is affliction and pain. And sometimes we have to step back and say, you hurt me and I cannot be in this relationship right now. I need to heal. And when I find healing, then I can connect with you. But I can't give you what you want of me right now. I cannot give you time. I cannot hold space for you because I need to hold space for myself. And, you know, even as me, you know, I sometimes grapple and I struggle because like, how do you not talk to your mom? But then what my mom is teaching me is how to say yes to myself more, even if it's attached to blood. That healing is so necessary to take what you need and give yourself permission for that. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What? You said I just said that. And yes, you did. (laughs) Pause for the cause. Yes. Yes. (laughs) 
Yeah. How has it been for you to financially prioritize travel? Because black that's, women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's tough. That is something we we sometimes have a difficult time doing. We, we yeah, we do have a difficult time with doing because in our head we're prioritizing sometimes other folks than our our experiences and our self-care. And so sometimes if we also come from a place of, uh, you know, being mothers, whether you um, physically have kids or you're mothering communities to motherless, um, which I know I'm a part of community that oftentimes trans women are mothers to the motherless of young trans folks or young queer folks who are coming up into spaces. Because again, we're still learning as Black folks how to undo what our colonizers has taught us about who we are and our expressions of ourselves. and so it is. A, it was difficult for me because in the midst of wanting to travel and always want to experience, I was also being discriminated and oppressed. And so through discrimination, I wasn't getting paid what I was due. I was all always often either at a space of this is what they were offering, and my white, uh, you know, uh, coworkers were getting much more than me. Uh, and then to be trans at a, at a place of physically transitioning and. Um, finally being able to purchase the clothes that I I would like to represent myself in colors that felt right. That's hard to do. That was hard. And so it took a moment of really finally getting a job um, that wasn't perfect, but it was a job that was like, we need you and we value you. We see something inside of you that you can bring to the space that other trans folks can see. Um, that, and we know what you can uh, bring. It's so f- funny because even my best friend now, who was my counselor um, <laughs> at the at the clinic, um, said that everyone knew who saw me, knew I was going to be something. They just said that you had that you had that light inside of you that folks just knew you were going to be something. And so when I had the moment to make money um, and have money to travel, what I would start doing is like, all right. I'm going to center um, experience versus fashion. I'm going to take as much gigs as I can, makeup. I mean, when I say Caribbean to the heart, four or five jobs to make ends meet. You understand what I'm saying? And I knew that the the reward was going to be that I got to take a moment for myself once I got that money. Sometimes I would travel with knowing that I might not have enough money to spend, but just the fact of getting there was the goal. That was the quest. Just to plant my feet on that earth was the quest, and that was enough. Even if I couldn't buy the chot skis or, you know, this stuff that you go to the airport. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, the, the souvenirs. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that kind of stuff. You know, just to be at a place of uh, experiencing and uh, taking the air in, was all right with me. My mom always would say, uh, she would, she, my mom reminds me not to be afraid of death. My mom was never afraid of death. My mom talked about death like she talked about sex. You know, my mom always wanted me to have a clear understanding about the things that people had a hard conversation with, because again, my mom was going to therapy. Um, and so my mom would talk about death and say, you know, it's everyone has to die, no matter how they die. And she would say, and guess what? We can't take anything with us but our soul. And so once I got a clear and started really getting a clear understanding, even to this day, it started making me evaluate what I spent my money on. 
and if my soul will be pleased with more than the experience and the physical state of things or the the clothing or the fabrics and stuff was about I want to experience a moment where my soul, my mind, my heart connected with people from another part of the continent or the world. What joy it was to actually see somebody that looked like me. And so my my experience in Dubai was great because I was a spirit. I'm a very spiritual person, and I love to see people worship and um, uh, speak to the God of their understanding, whether it's Islamic, uh, you know, Judaism, or Christian, you know, or just being spiritual intercrystal, whatever it might be. Uh, that all that is divine and good. Um, I love doing that, and, and and love traveling to see that. And so going to Dubai. And seeing how folks pray six times a day um, made me take a, a reflection on how do I ground myself? Because even in their prayer and their being is that they were taking a moment to express gratitude. They were taking a moment to thank. Dubai was one of the cleanest, pers- cleanest places that I've seen to the point that the floor sparkled. And I was like, wow, this is possible? The knob and the door shine, gold, marble. And we're talking about a man-made place. Let's be clear. This Dubai was something that was created, but they were intentional on creating something that was clean. Even how they addressed their homelessness, you know, their homeless population. Uh, You know, I started looking at those things and I said, I want to travel to see more of people and then people that look like me. Because oftentimes when I travel, even to these places, you will always find a brown person. You will always find a black person um, or someone. Uh, when I'm talking about that, I'm actually really referring to the complexion, the skin complexion, the, mel- the, the melanin, right? Because, you know, some of us are descendants of other folks, but I want to see somebody that that complexion matches mine or were shades darker and the array of blues and peaches and coral. I want to see that. And so traveling gave me that. And then I said, after Dubai, I'm like, I'm going to travel some more. But here's the thing. I, I, I tell myself, I said, I needed to travel with folks to feel safe. Because I'm like, I'm trans. I don't want to go to these countries by myself. I am clear that trans is still a conversation. You know, I am clear that my identity can also uh, cause me my death. Yet still, I want to have the audacity to experience the world. Because if I was to die, I knew I couldn't take anything with me, but what I could say is that I got to experience and I got to give myself a yes when the world gave me a no. So it was like, damn, if I do that, if I don't, I'm going to go travel. I'm going to go see the world. And so my next trip after Dubai was um, working with um, Morag um, at, you know, to go to her wedding as just to attend. And so, you know, in that you can also, I could have also scheduled an, an excursion trip, an extension of the trip from Gaborone, Botswana to South Africa. And I was like, yes, I also want to go to Johannesburg. And then after Johannesburg, I want to go to Cape Town. And so there I was, I got on the plane and you know me, I'm like, once, what, once my, um, my friend Cheyenne taught me, it's okay to find the cheapest ticket. Just know that your destination is more important. <laughs> and so sometimes I would find myself in peace. I'm like, never again would I buy this economic speak. Never again. I was way expensive more money. But I'm like, I'm the destination. And so what I found myself was, <laughs> what, I, what I found myself was, 
um, looking for uh, plane rides that will have layovers and being intentional. Like, all right, if I can, if I can travel with the round trip of, you know, I would say my, the max I want to spend is 400 and I would meditate and pray. I'm like, God, give me, you know, I want to get up out of here. I want, I want to go there, but this is all I have to offer right now. Um, and I need to plan to be able to also save so I can get something of the experience and to participate in our uh, excursion. And so with the opportunity of the wedding, she had a, a travel agent and the travel agent had to pay payments and, um, and increments. And I was like, all right, I can do this. I can do this. So I ended up having a, a layover in um, Heathrow, um, mm-hmm. London, which was great because I had a cousin that I hadn't seen in years. Um, and I wanted to just see her to hug her in my meanness, in my nowness. And I was able to do that. Her name happened to be uh, Leonie Elliott. Um, and she's Famous also actress. At- yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in the show Midwives, and I was able to do that and and hug her and spend time with her, and then get back on the plane. And I was in Botswana, and then I started seeing when I landed off the plane. I think we first when you first get there, you land in South Africa, and then you take a plane to get to Gaborone, Botswana. But when I got off the plane and I felt the slap of the heat on my face, I just smiled with joy. Something that normally would be like, oh, it's so hot. I smile with joy. There was, there was a vibration of welcome home. The minorities that I that I I felt in my being was no longer there. I saw every corner, people looking like me, people speaking the 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 language of their understanding and then of that land. Um, and then I'm like, I need to learn how to say hello. And and so I'm asking, you know, I'm, I'm asking them, how do I say hello? And then I'm like, oh, this currency, this money, the unfolding of my joy. Because I remember traveling um, as a child, I think around the age of middle school, I think I was like 11, 12, but going to Jamaica for a funeral. So we really didn't get to a sense of spending time for excitement and joy, but just touching the land to honor who had passed away. Um, but... But you were surrounded by Black people there. Yeah, and that felt good, but I didn't remember it because it was so quick. Oh. Um, okay, okay, okay. You get what I'm saying? It, it, like, I didn't remember it because I was like, oh, that was great. And I got back to school and life started life and people started peopling. But now in my, not because again, I was also compartmentalized and trying to process the afflictions of hurt, abuse, and molestation and all the stuff I was experiencing in those in that time that I wasn't able to voice. That now I'm able to start talking about in a, a freeing way and a healing way that hopefully helps myself <laughs> and others as well in the process. Um, but it wasn't until I got to Africa, I'm like, I see people like me. Wow. The smell, the food, the language. And I was like, how do you say hello? And they, they said, Domelama. I was like, okay. So I started saying Domelama to everybody. They're like, no, that's not how you say it because they have also gender. So Domelama was for, uh, um, for women, for women, and Domela Ra was for um, men, and and I, I just was like, I want to learn as much as I can. What is the money call? Um, is Pula, uh, which meant rain, which the reason why they call it rain was because of harvest. And so I'm sharing these things because when you travel, you get to have access and expand your mind from what you were taught. You get to reevaluate what you appreciate, right? For them to call money their their money pula, and on the I still have the money now. I'm looking at it now as I'm talking to you that you know they were 
on the on the money black women there was a mother and her child what joy it is to see on money a mother and her and her holding her ch- her child and the colors of the money the the you know the joy of that i was like wow that, that if i had not traveled i would have not seen something like this on money and honoring myself and feeling honored and feeling empowered zebras on money then going to uh, South Africa, where they, the, the, the currency is rams, and seeing Nelson Mandela on the money, and seeing elephants on the money. It just was so fulfilling for me that I said, I cannot stop there. And so my next goal was that I want to travel, and if I travel, I want to travel to queer folks. And so I reached out to a coworker of mine, and she was like, I love that you're traveling. And, and it became a conversation at my job, because queer folks hadn't been having a conversation, particularly queer folks of color, hadn't really been having a conversation about traveling. You know, it was small uh, subgroups of us like, yeah, I went to Puerto Rico. Yeah, I went to Thailand. Yeah, when, and they're like, how the hell are you traveling? And we're not getting paid enough. We're getting paid nonprofit. And so we started having conversations about, you know, collectively saving or using hoppers or using the flight deals and really planning, using PTO and giving ourselves time, uh, self-care. And I said, you know what, the next trip, I want to travel with uh, women. And so I got uh, a queer woman who is between masculine center and feminine energy and a trans woman. And I said, you know where I want to go? I want to go to Kenya. Because I had been to South and I wanted to go to East. Uh, and they said, yes. They were like, we trust you. Uh, and I, I felt honored to trust to, to really plan getting an Airbnb and figuring out as we, uh, as we got there. And it was the best experience. I got to go to Nairobi, Kenya. Um, and I'm talking about three queer folks being in Africa and our queerness not being the center of our, the conversation, uh, which is interesting, right? Because when you think about Kenya, which is in proximity about 13 hours from Uganda, where we often see the killing of um, LGBT folks, like the lynching of them because of their theology, um, that I was able to be in that proximity, but also because of the faith um, and my church, I was able to connect with folks there. And so when I got there, I connected with a trans man and uh, folks who had, um, for example, there was a barbershop that is uh, cloaked as a barbershop, but it's actually a safe haven for LGBT folks to meet some folks there and talk with them. And that's where I came back. I remember leaving Mombasa, Kenya said, I want to do this more. I want to travel more. I don't, I don't even care about the work that I'm doing if it doesn't mean that I get to see my people across the world and get to see other people with other intersectionalities where even in the location of our Blackness, that their voices get to heard. I want to give them that. So that's where... I want to fight for them as well. Yeah, that's where okay. Robot developed. I, you know, I came, I came back um, that February because it seemed like February must have been a thing because that's a time when folks really don't travel to the, those areas. So I was like, next year. So every year, I'm like, every year I want to go to Africa. So it happened to be in February. And I, I think I was starting to be strategic about that because it's Black History Month, as we know it. So, so if I want to be anywhere for Black History, History Month, I want to be in Africa, period. Full stop. <laughs> Full stop. I want to be in Africa. And, and so uh, being there with them was great. Um, and then, you know, you know, I will say I enjoy South Africa more, yet I enjoyed meeting with a trans person there who was navigating and giving me 
uh, they're actually the experience of something that I was seeing beautiful that they were seeing hurt and pain. And so it allowed me to take a step back as well as traveling and recognizing that, yes, I may be experiencing the joy and self-care of traveling, but also to be connected to the people and honor that land and honor those presents and, and, and creating space and break bread. And so sometimes my experiences, even though I'm working hard for my money, but sometimes let me buy you food and let's break bread and let's talk because you're also giving me my time and I'm also connecting you as siblings. So when I came back, uh, my church was doing, I, I go to Rivers of Living Water. Uh, it formerly was known as Rivers of uh, Rehoboth. Um, it is also connected under uh, uh, affirming churches, uh, TFAM, um, uh, who the leader of that is uh, Bishop Yvette Blunder, which many folks may know. Um, and so uh, in, in their circles, we have a bishop named Bishop um, Joseph Toten, who is uh, from Kenya. Um, uh, I digress. There was a, a, a young adult uh, uh, youth and young adult uh, retreat and we had went up to um, uh, Akon PA and we were just like talking about vision and, and sending ourselves and I was with a couple of friends and I was like what do I really want I sometimes sit and say what do I want what do I want what do I want like just acting with myself and to get clearer because sometimes you know you forget what you want and so I was like what do I want what do I want and the thought was like if I could just get a group of queer folks to travel, um, how beautiful that would be. Because in, in traveling and getting to see the land of Africa and understand that, you know, that although we got off at different stops of the ships or, you know, taking to different points that we're still connected and that we can also rediscover ourselves and be on the quest of learning who we are as people, right? Not that it's not a birthright trip because I, I do believe we deserve that. Uh, and still trying to figure out what that looks like, right? Because, you know, I think about Anglo-Saxon folks or Jewish folks having the right to do that. Yet I wanted to figure out if we don't get to that point, at least we have the audacity that we're going to travel in our queerness and be seen, but also to allow our uh, siblings to be seen and talk about safety and also generate safety for them, not rush them into like advocate and fighting, but holding space and be bred and giving hope and saying what works for you, what works for me. And so the development process has been a process because it's also tough. It's also sometimes tough to get black folks to organize around uh, supporting the idea of Black folks who are not just Black but queer or, excuse me, let me correct, African folks, right? Because I also want to remind us that we are African, <laughs> you know, um, to really organize and, and, and support, like, queer folks are at the center of our revolution as well. No one is disposable, even in the concept of their creating hurt, that there is a saying in uh, certain cultures of Africa that when someone messes up, everyone rallies up and take them to the village and uplift them and remind them who they are. And so I think it's time for us to remind folks of who they are in their identities that they choose. Because if you see the African cultures, we see the expressions of folks who identify as male, wear corsets in the Dinka tribe. We see the we see in certain cultures of men having contests of beauty standards and them being judged of beauty and how pretty they are. Right? All of that knowingness has been taken away from us. So I sometimes offer grace to cis heterosexual folks who like 
don't understand that what you've been taught is not just all. Allow yourself to travel, experience, and read and expand your understanding, the nuance. And so I'm on a quest of doing that. I want at least 10 uh, folks every year who have the intersexual, uh, intersecting identities of queerness, blackness, um, whether it's Afro-Latina, wherever, again, across the African diaspora to experience that travel. And I want to start with the continent of Africa. I want to go to different countries and do that. Yes. That's the work. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> do you, yeah, do you yeah. have any song lyrics or a poem that speaks to you these days? Yes. Uh, my recent song that has been speaking to me, first of all, I love India Ari. Uh, India Ari has always been that, that grounding. I feel like she's like the uh, Black girl's uh, Bible or the book or self-care book. <laughs> so, the, you know, her album song, uh, uh, Songversation, uh, uh, Colon Medicine. Um, there's a song on there that's uh, called Chicken Soup. Uh, it's Chicken Song. I think Chicken Soup or Chicken Song. I think Chicken Soup Song, I think it's called. Um, and it, it, the, the lyrics of it says, you know, lately you don't feel great. You got places to go, people to see, so much business to get straight. Um, you're on planes, trains, and buses, uh, bi-coastal, international. Yes, your life has its pluses, but some days it don't feel natural. And then she goes into singing, so I wrote this chicken soup in a song. <laughs> May you be cozy and warm wherever you are. A chicken soup in a song. May you be cozy and warm wherever you are. And so the song that sits with me now and on that same album, um, it's also I Am Light, if you know that song. It also is a song, um, Breathe, uh, Continue to Breathe, which was in response to Eric Gardner. Um, and also there's a gratitude song about giving thanks. That album is like my growling album, but the chicken soup just resonates with me as someone who travels that oftentimes have to, you know, center myself around prayer and protection, right? Because the more that I'm visible, not just as a, a African descendant or Afro-Caribbean person, but also as a trans person. And I recognize that even in my intersecting identities, no matter what race, there are folks telling me no, and that my life doesn't matter. And so having chicken soup is something that I grew up uh, on with my, with my grandmother. Anytime I got sick, that was what it, anytime I need to feel better, you know, she had the yam, the dumpling, the, uh, the pimento seed, uh, uh, what is it called? Cochocho, uh, there's a lot of different things in the soup, but it was so good time, everything. And so chicken soup was the soul, um, was um, refilling me up. And so I feel like now, it's so yes, necessary to have that type of medicine, that chicken soup type of feeling. So that's the song that feels right for me right now. What helps you to face your challenges? What help, helps me to face my challenges? That's great. Um, hmm. I'm just trying to figure out what feels right right now because the challenges I'm having is is in response to what's currently going on. So I'm just trying to reflect what has been working. <sighs> yeah, that, taking a deep breath, taking a deep breath. Anytime I feel that tension or that moment, I hear it, breathe. 
like some, some like breathe, like if I breathe, uh, because it's my duty to breathe for those who life has been taking quicker. It's a reminder to just pause. I'm just doing that. So I've gotten through challenges for, uh, through breathing. I've gotten through challenges uh, to remind to remind myself of who I am. I've, I've gotten through challenges to remind myself that I am a child of God, but that I also can find God within myself. I gotten through challenges by reminding myself the power of I am, um, omnipresent. So reminding myself every morning with affirmations, I am beautiful, which is why I'm saying I, I am now in the conversation of beauty. <laughs> um, I am love. I am joy. I am, I am patient. I am kind. I am black. I am, I am present. I am connected. I am, I am okay. I am safe. I am protected. I am covered. Uh, that has gotten me through challenges, taking the moment to do the, I am even prayer. Um, even journaling, saying no, yeah, pausing, reflecting. Yeah, that feels good. And Miss Nala, Simone Toussaint. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. You say all of it. Thank I you. always like to, yes, I always like to invite my guests um, to share how listeners can support your work. Oh, uh, beautiful. Um, folks can become a Patreon. It's something that I'm, I'm now learning that exists. I'm like, what? There are people who can support you for doing your things, uh, doing what you're doing. So uh, folks can uh, uh, support through Patreon. I haven't posted anything yet. I uh, know that I am uh, cultivating. Uh, I, I'm a Scorpio. And so I sometimes get caught up in what it looks like because I want it to look and feel right. I want it how I'm creating, how I'm speaking is what I want folks to feel, that vibration. So sometimes that can be a hindrance and procrastination happens, but folks can support me that way. Folks can also go through Twitter and follow me at Nala Simonet. So that's N-A-L-A-S-I-M-O-N-E-T. Uh, and then go to um, Twitter, which is Road to Us. And folks can fill out the survey. Uh, I'm still collecting um, information from uh, queer folks and also uh, any folks from uh, across the African di diaspora and taking a survey of why is it so important as LGBT folks to travel to Africa um, and connect with other same gender loving uh, trans folks in Africa. Uh, so folks can do that and folks can also just simply donate through pay PayPal as well. Yes, or cash at me. Definitely. Um, yeah. Are your PayPal and Cash App links on your website, Nala Toussaint? No, that's, I'm actually glad that you said something. I need to update that. I definitely need to re reach out to someone who supported me in creating a, a research. I mean, my website, sorry, who helped me create, create my website. Which, so well, do that. say it. Say your... Um, or you could just send it to me. <laughs> and because I, I put them in the show notes. So I want to make sure that if someone is able to give a donation, that they have the correct link to be able to do so for yes. PayPal or Cash App. Yes. So my so my it, personal Cash App is um, Dollar Sign Visions by Knowledge. And that's V-I-S-I-O-N-S-B-Y-N-A-L. Uh, 
Um, and if you are wanting to support through Road, I believe, um, give me a second because I'm like, oh, I probably need to also Google this because it's been a while. Uh, Twitter, um, I think it's Road to Us. Let me just, let me just confirm. Yeah, so it's paypal.me forward slash R-O-A-D, the number four, um, and then U-S, uh, Road for Us. And that's also where um, folks can do this survey. Um, I will be as honest as, as possible. I am not the best right now at posting um, on social media. So if folks also want to support by um, donating their time and their labor through a barter system and stuff, I definitely would love to connect with folks um, who want to be in service and trying to figure out what that looks like right now as, it, as we're sitting. Definitely connect with me. Definitely. And they can okay. do that through my website um, or email me at uh, speak, which is S-P-E-A-K at NalaTucson.com. And please, please only email me for serious matters. I'm putting it out there, my boundaries and my disclaimers. Do not hit me up to try to holler. Do not hit me up to try to, you know, come to some birthday party or something. <laughs> that email is mostly for uh, work and connecting and healing processes. So I want to be clear. I have a personal email for that other stuff. <laughs> come on. Yeah, you got to set them boundaries out there. Hit on. I'm, 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 okay. The DMs be lit. And I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, no. As you are in the spotlight. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Being in the spotlight, I think that's something that... Uh, you know, people have to learn to navigate as they become more visible and what that means. So, yeah, it, it, sadly, yeah, sadly enough, the last time I posted on like Instagram or anything was uh, November or December around my birthday time. And yeah, I, have, yeah <laughs> I haven't posted then, and, but I, I do tend to post on a story, uh, on like on my story time, just to let folks know that I, I'm at a space of being and yeah, and, yeah. and living, but I will be posting some uh, stuff really soon because I have done a lot to the point that I'm like, I got pictures from this panel and this conversation. And I think folks will, shouldn't know what I'm up to, especially as it pertains to work. But I, I took a, a mm-hmm. seat back because I will be honest and vulnerable that after the breakfast club, I wasn't actually as ready as I would like to think of uh, the commentaries, um, which, you know, now I'm getting bruised. That's making me strong, but I wasn't actually ready to be at a place of so visible that, uh, folks have proximity to just stop me in the street or have access or DM me and holler at me in the way. So it took a moment. And even, and even like uh, I'll name, you know, when you, you know, I, I still got the, the concept of celebrity to me doesn't feel right, but just, the visibility of um, folks, particularly exes that I've had, you know, that I've shared stuff intimate with, with using my, my, um, my moment of shining and glowing to hinder me. Um, and so there was something that happened where uh, some, I think something was released and I, it, it kind of made me stop and I felt uh, violated and vulnerable. And so I kind of went in as like a bird wrapping their wings around them to hug themselves. So that's why I am. I've been healing from that and processing myself and getting ready, getting ready to um, hit the ground running again. Re-emerge. Yes. yes. Phoenix. Phoenix. 
Never, because you were never burned. Right. Um, Come on. I think you did. (laughs) I I honestly, because I just watched it uh, not very long ago, so it's fresh on my mind, the interview. You did what you could with the space that you had. Um, It's one thing to try to insert yourself and, like, direct something. But, you know, uh, I assume Malik Yoba set the interview up in the first (laughs) place. Um, He was going to do with that time what he wanted to do with that time. And when people have an agenda, it's very hard to divert it from Mm -hmm. that. But the words that you said, like I said, with the time that you had, you did what you could. Thank you. Thank you. And so, no, no, thank you. Because entering that type of climate being who you are that was radical in and of itself because we all know they're idiots (laughs) (laughs) like they just are well you have so much more grace than I ever aspire to have because I just want to put people's fire um, a little bit you you are very tender you are very graceful but I think that some people really need to learn and they've never claimed to be for the culture, yeah. even though they claim to be for the culture. Oh. They're not for all culture. And they're not here to learn. They're not here to mm. get better. They're here to get ratings. And they're here to be mired in whatever viewpoint they want to be mired in. So I said I said all that to say, um, Thank you. You're amazing. Thank you for sewing back into me, bringing life back into that uh, sore spot. I appreciate that. It, it's so needed. Um, you you need that space because you have so many wonderful, beautiful, gorgeous things to say, and you are in a place to be able to share some of your experiences. And that is not owed to anyone, but out of the grace and out of the love you share so that other people know that they're not alone. And that is huge. Um, so it's not just people trying to slide into your dreams because you find <laughs> as fuck. It's also because Thank you. like you matter. You're and and the fact that you're living and breathing today because we know the price Thank put you. on black trans women and I'll say people of color, yeah, but I really mostly real. care about black women. Um to be able to survive another day in America. So we're so happy that you are here, that you are taking your deep breath and you're not just taking them for yourself. I I thank you. I thank you. I thank you uh, beyond measures for having that um, inclusive lens and being inviting as um, the women of your lived experience, right? Because I recognize how, Sometimes, um, and I feel, I don't know why this feels the need to say that sometimes uh, some women may think, um, because I said yes to myself of being a woman, that it takes away from their existence, where really it's about saying that this is who I am and I honor who you are. And because I honor you, I'm here to not only walk with you, but serve for you and we protect each other and so love back into each other. So it's not about competition or I'm taking your guy or, or or your woman, whoever you're attracted to, but it's about collectively the women that we are is to hold each other sacred and safe. You better speak to these cis women. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You better speak to them. Yeah. Speak to us. Yeah. Yes. It's so needed I didn't, that. I didn't want to claim know. it. I was trying to. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you was like, you was like, yeah, that, 
was like, yeah, for those who don't know, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm different. So I, I appreciate you. But I, because I know why you're saying that. You're saying that because that's yeah. something that trans women experience that is other, that even, othering and that, oh, we don't have enough. And here comes some other bitches trying to take because our reality, shit. And, it's and, just and, like, and, and that's the grace. And I think the grace is in understanding because I get it. I get it how often time black women have. I don't get it. Right. Yeah. Right. right. I mean, I, I, I understand. Hmm, not, not, let me let me think. I offer, I offer a sensitive, like, I'm going to hold space for your pain and then I'm going to educate you because how you're speaking is coming from a place of pain and your pain is from not often feeling like you're not seen. And so because you're not seen, right. And because you're not heard and not not wanted wanted. or kept as a secret or not highlighted for your greatness and your queendom, that anything that emulates or anything that you feel like is taking away from you are now getting some type of love or now you feel like people are loving in secrecy. Like this is the shit I'm talking about. No, 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 no. Take a moment to stop. You are so beautiful. You're so magical. You are so you that anything that you're searching for evidence to, to say that you don't matter, that needs to end. You matter enough to create space for yourself and you get to all to create space for others. And so if, if we take a moment to see the magic within us, that we know that there's a seed for you, for the tree that I was talking about uh, earlier, there's another seed for someone else and another seed for us. And if we all just plant our seeds, the environment will, will reflect even better, will reflect even better so that it fills us up deep, deeply, that it heals our wounds. I can't thank you enough for this edifying conversation. You are the bomb.com.org. <laughs> thank you, Landa. Thank, thank you so, so much, much, Landa. I know it is the middle of the night, so you have yourself yes. the best night of your life. And uh, amidst you. all the crazy things going on right now, I uh, again, I really appreciate you taking the time because neither you. one of us knew if we was going to make it today <laughs> for this yes. conversation. Yes. <laughs> I, and I'm I, like, I, I seriously mean that I don't know you. And, and, and with consent, of course, I'm, I am wrapping my arms and giving you a, a sisterhood recharge. Restorative you better come hug. on. Yes. <laughs> yes. You better bring it in I, for the real thing. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. I am hugging you deeply, especially I know that you're in Malaysia. So, you know, I know that um, you're, you're, in, you're in a new place of finding home from a home of where your home is and it's beautiful and I have I have found home in my body Ooh. so wherever this body goes I swear that's a hashtag tweet hashtag yes Wanda <laughs> hashtag black women travel podcast on that note <laughs> I have found home in my body oh that's so good that tastes so good tastes so good yes yes <laughs> All right, Nala, you take very, very good care of yourself, please. Thank you so much.